Hello and welcome to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. Once again, I'm your host with the most, Steve Smith. I can already feel your anticipation. This is episode number 18. Number 18 today equals Barn Bugle. Yes, Barn Bugle. Now, it's taken me a few weeks to get my shit together and think about my trip to Barn Bugle that I conquered back in March. And for this unique episode, I will be having a conversation under the usual name of Golf Chat with my resident conversationalist, Ross Flanagan. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Ross and I break down our virgin experience to what I call our Australian version of Bandon, being that of Barn Bugle. Now, I will briefly preface our pre-recorded conversation by saying that both Ross and I get completely swept away again. Again, in retrospect, recounting what we experienced in Tasmania's northeast coast. Needless to say, our convo does go for a little while. So you'll probably pause and come back a little bit, um, you know, because we, we, we just we get lost again in what it is and what, what our experience was. So, look, like I said, you might pause it and come back. You might listen to the whole thing. I'm just letting you know that it's not a one-hour episode, just so that you're ready when you get into it. And I will just apologize a little bit for the sound of my voice in the interview, just trying to get the right hardware and equipment when I do these interviews over the internet and on mobile phones, etc. So uh, it's not quite 100% on my end. And now, with no further ado, and for the very first time simulcast on both this podcast and the My Love of Golf podcast, we bring you Barn Bugle, a virgin experience. Enjoy, guys. Enjoy listening. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we come once again to one of my favourite parts of the podcast episode, an episode, a segment of the podcast with Golf Chat here. It's with our friend of the podcast, the eminent interviewer of golf podcasting around the world, the Mike Willisie, the Ray Martin, the Andrew Denton, if you like, depending on which generation you come from. I've talked him up. <laughs> Welcome to Golf Chat with Ross Lanning and Welcome, Roscoe. Steve, where do I go from there? That is unbelievable. How's that for an intro? No, that is unbelievable. <laughs> and that's so far from uh, reality. Uh, sitting, we're actually sitting here looking at each other because we're doing this via Zoom, which is nice, we are. rather than we via are. the phone. And uh, uh, I have gone bright red. And uh, that's that's crazy to say that. Mike, Mike Willis here. <laughs> Mate, oh, look, I have to. And to be fair, and the reason I say this, it's not just to throw away a couple of names, because you've done some incredible interviews of late i've absolutely loved some of the interviews you've done late mate so well done and and some of them have been you know there's melbourne's not forgive forgive me for forgetting some of the names you can throw them in with the my love of golf podcast but some of the the names that you've done there was um steve from the states a greenkeeper superintendent uh from the states is that right Stephen Britton, so Frankston Stephen boy, Britain. Frankston boy, Stephen. now taking on the grasses of uh, the world agronomy of the world incredible uh, story over there that was at the a so, yep, Steve Britton, uh, then there was uh, Andy Ma, one of Australia's great sports. Andy Ma was great. What a great. What a great interview that was to listen to, mate. Sports broadcasters. There was um, Melbourne Storm's very own Christian Welsh. <laughs> he, <laughs> loved, you, you, yeah, he, he loves was, playing at Brookvale, by the way. He loves playing down the road from you at Brookvale. He loves that. Uh, uh, there you go. Mate, and don't they have some cracker games with Mighty Seagulls and Melbourne Storm? Um, but just to finish off on, on the latest one, and it's – a little bit relevant to this uh, interview because it was with a chap who is, I don't exactly know how old Bob McCoy is, 
the real McCoy. Uh, you can find him on uh, golfodyssey.net.com.net. Uh, .net, sorry. Uh, Bob McCoy yeah. is, I have to say he's mid-80s now. He undertook to play in 1997 the golf magazine at that time that so it was a 1995 top 100 list in 1997 yep. he left in april in maine where he was from uh lives and he went to play the top 100 courses in 100 days all around yeah. the world not america all around the world now it's 1997 i can barely remember 1997 but I, I remember a couple of things i was in sydney i was working i just had my first sort of reasonable sized job a mobile phone was about the size of uh this computer um there was email was maybe just starting uh it was faxes if you don't know what a fax is go and google what a fax was a facsimile facsimile the long version and letters and letter writing and and bob was able to put this schedule together to play the top 100 in 100 days you know he had, he had played top 100s before uh through his traveling but someone threw a challenge to him and he accepted and he said, I'm going to do it in a hundred days. That's my next, what I can do next. And uh, so it's an hour and 20 minutes of Bob telling the, uh, the story of, of um, his travels around the world. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to listen to. Mate, mate, that's, that's one I'm yet to play catch up on. I've had a few other things happening at the moment with uh, organizing a, an industry golf event. And, you know, um, I'm really looking forward to that one. When I saw who, who it was and a little bit of the brief story behind the, the person behind, it was, um, it's definitely on my next checklist to, uh, to listen to. So mate, it, like I said, that's why I've thrown those names up in terms of interviewing. So mate, I, I think it's justified in my opinion. There you go. Well, thank you, Stephen. <laughs> mate, now we've got you on, on the podcast and, and you did mention we're doing it via Zoom. So there's a little bit of interaction that, you know, we'll see where the video ends up. Who knows? It could be like my foray into television where the wife and I were involved with, uh, changing rooms Australia. It was a blast on it went on to television, we got half a new house out of it, and then it was quickly wiped from television history. So we won't go there, but who knows where this video will end up. Hey, the other funny part of it, I had to find that out. I had to dig when I was doing some, you know, uh, stalking of you. I had to go and find that out. You didn't, you know, it wasn't, it's not, it, should be, it should be front and centre on your profile, changing rooms. It should be. And we had a whale of a time. Like I said, the wife and I had this experience that not many people get to, yeah. and it was incredible. And it was very full on. And we're digressing a little bit, but it was on TV for a short period of time. And then I think it got a few episodes past us on TV. So we got a start, yeah. which was great. But then it was quickly removed. It didn't cut the mustard for the ratings. And then I think all the back catalogs were removed from, from online as well. So we, uh, we won't really talk to it much more than that. I think actually I remember seeing it, to be fair. When I met you, I thought, there's something familiar about this guy. And, and that was it. <laughs> TV. There you go. Well, okay, mate, look, let, let's crack on. Have, let, let's go. Let's get into it. It's a Tassie special we're talking about here on Golf Chat with yourself, mate. And you and I were virgins of this particular destination. And it's pretty obvious what we're going to talk about. It's Barn Bugle Dunes, or that's how I how I pronounce it. Apparently, it's Barn Bugle Dunes, which I find a little bit difficult to say. So I'm going to stick with Barn Bugle. I've copped a bit of flack for mate. We were both Barn Bugle virgins. Now we're not. How was your first go? Well, let's <laughs> let's just start before uh, to to tell a little bit of the story how we got there. So, for me, yes, I was definitely a Barn Bugle um, virgin, and as, as you know, and as some of the listeners for your podcast, my podcast, we've been on before, know that I operate a golf retail premises in in Melbourne, yep. and for me, for many years now, I've. Uh, 
travelled a little bit around the world, you know, with my Scottish heritage to play some golf over there and, and Ireland and so on and so forth, which has been great. But, you know, I'd be serving someone and someone would come up with a dozen whatever balls they were, a bunch of tees and a glove and maybe a rain jacket. And it's usually a dead giveaway. I'd say, oh, off on a golf trip, are we? And they go, yeah, yeah, going to Barn Burgle, mate. Going to Barn Burgle with a bunch of us. You know, a bunch of us going down on the plane from Air Adventure, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, fantastic. Have you been? Have you been? I said, no, I've, I've actually – what? You haven't been to Barn Burgle? I said, I think I must be the only guy in Melbourne that hasn't been to Barn Burgle. And I would tell – you know, my staff got just fed up. Oh, here comes the Barn Burgle joke again. Um, he you know, hasn't been to Barn Burgle. And it was like seven years of haven't been, haven't been. And for me it was just about finding the right time uh, in, you know, work, life, and, and some people to go with. And when we talk about the sure. people people to go with, it it wasn't a long time in the planning this barn burgle. It was a little bit opportune because, you know, obviously in Melbourne we came out of lockdown and everyone was like fever pitched to get out there and do something. So um, one of my good golfing mates, Mike Caridi, and another uh, friend of his, Nick, and another friend of theirs. So we've got three. Let's make – I'll make the fourth. Let's go. And you and I were talking – you rang me one morning. I was on the way, yeah, in, yeah, on the way into the city – and uh, you said, mate, I don't know if it's too short notice or whatever, but uh, I've got a spot in this Barn Burgle trip. You should come. And literally, it was like within 24 hours, uh, I'd had two invitations to Barn Burgle. So it was meant it was meant to be. And it turns Absolutely. out, and I said, oh, mate, I'm already going in March. And you said, <laughs> I said, when are you going? You said, oh, the 16, 17, 18, or whatever dates were. Yeah. It, was exact, it was exactly the same time. So we were there. It to- was quite uncanny, wasn't it, to, uh, like you said, to have that, those things all fall into place at the same time and get two offers. Like you know, look, weird, weird and very cool at the same time. It was nice to share it together and it was nice to see you down there uh, when we were playing, I think, on the, the last day we were there and you were maybe yeah. two, two groups ahead and I popped my head up over a dune and there was the big <laughs> the right. big man, the big man in the orange shirt lurking in the uh, <laughs> the marin grass looking for a lost Pro V. Searching for one of many lost golf balls <laughs> on that day. I think it was a windy day too from memory. We, um, mate, it was, yeah, look at, and, you know, my story was a little bit similar to yours in that I have never really had the opportunity and you find a time in your life when it's going to kind of work and you're going to get a chance to do it and got an invitation from my brother and he had a group of guys that were going down and uh, he said, look, you know, we've, we've got a couple of spots or we've got a spot available. Would you, you know, is this something that you're going to, you, you're going to get a chance to take it? And I said, look, you know, I've just had a newborn. It's tough and, you know, it's, it's the wife and I are supporting each other at home with our little baby Savannah and it's probably not the right time to be fair. And then to, to Bree's credit, to my wife's credit, she said, look, you've always talked about this place. I don't, I don't know what it means. I can't think of an analogy that for her, she's like, I can't think of an analogy. It's the same thing for me, but I know you've always talked about it being a bucket list and a trip you've always wanted to do. So what can we do to make it work? So we, we, we come up with something that was going to work for us and, and it made it happen. And then I got that, that uh, call from a brother that said, listen, we've had a guy drop out. Do you know anyone that, uh, that might be interested in going? And then that conversation we had that morning, I, I still never forget it. I pulled over the side of the road and said, mate, I don't know if this is random or not, but you know, um, would you be interested? And you're like, I'm, I'm already going. And we worked out it was the same couple of days crossover. Had you said it was like a month after, like if it, if it turned out the way that I'd been and, and had you said it was like a month after, I would have come because... Yeah, you know, like in, in getting into it a little bit more, uh, people ask a lot of people ask me how how was it, what did you think, and you know all of that sort of stuff. And it's very rare that I come away from a good golf course and the first thing I think about is when am I going to go back? How soon can I go back? What can I do to make 
going back to this place a possibility. And that's how I, that's how I feel and felt and that's how I still feel about uh, that wonderful experience at Barn Boogle. So had you said a month later, we're going a month later and yeah. I'd already been, I would have come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, mate, I, it's, uh, I agree with you. And now, like you said, having, having been there and think about it retrospectively, what, what it is, and uh, that probably leads us into starting to talk about Barn Bugle mm. and what we thought of it. I'll start off by saying that um, I, I struggle a lot with expectations from people when I hear them say, you know, this is a great golf course, you've got to go and play it and you've got to experience this one. And, and sometimes those expectations, and I try to put them to one side, but they're, they're always there when you've spoken to people about it. I try to put them aside and I get there and, and every now and then I'll come to a place that meets those expectations or exceeds them. doesn't happen very often, but I can name a, a, a couple off the top of my head and it's Royal Adelaide. It's Peninsula Kingswood when I was fortunate to go to there. Barn Bugle's one of them. It's Bonville. Um, there's, there's certainly a few around that, that meet or exceed those expectations. Um, but I had for so long wanted to go to see Barn Bugle and heard a lot about it and read a lot about it being in the industry of greenkeeping. I certainly heard a lot from the inside about it and I wasn't expecting to still be blown away upon arrival the way that I was. It was, and it's the trip down, right? It's, we had a, a hell of a time. It's COVID still where, you know, I had two flights booked to get there and one was axed and moved to the next day. I ended up getting the other one, which was a stopover in Melbourne from Sydney to get down, change flights, get to Launceston, get the, the bus to, to get up to Barn Bugle. And there's an hour and a bit drive in that. I think it's an hour and a half nearly. And you get there and you walk out and you just go, what, what just happened? How did we get from rural Australia and all the beautiful countryside that it is, and that's logging country you drive through and farmland and all that, and you just arrive on the coast near Bridport and you just all of a sudden, it's there. Mm. It, it just, it just, it's like someone just, lift the, the covers off your eyes and you just go, this is it. And how did this turn up here? <laughs> Steve, and, you know, you, you talked about wanting to talk to me because I got a little bit, a little bit, and not a lot. Please, I'll, I'll qualify now. I'm, I'm not the most travel golfer in that will listen to this. There's plenty of people that will be listening that have done every course around the world. Sure. I've done a little bit. But, you know, one of the, um, I guess, consistent things that I remember is when – you drive through a town where there's an, a nice links destination. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, the reveal is part of the excitement. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and you think about St Andrews. When you drive into St Andrews and you get into the town, you just turn a little bit left, and all of a sudden this big peninsula of golf course, you know, because it's not just one course at the old course. There's, I think, yeah, three on right. that peninsula of, of land. And it's a little peninsula of links land that sticks out into the ocean on one side and an estuary on the other side, much, right. much, much like Barn Boogle. Uh, you yeah, know, okay. Uh, North Berwick, you know, you drive into the town, it's just town, old buildings and turn left and there's a, then opens up and there's a reveal of a golf course. Even in uh, some of the other links courses, you, you drive and then all of a sudden, bang, the national down here at, at um, you know, Cape Shank, Cape Shank, you know, you drive through yeah. countries, you drive over the hill and all of a sudden you see, wham, three big courses. So it, yeah, it, yeah. it felt like that, you know, like you're driving through somewhere as you described, you know, forest land, countryside, and then you're into this beautiful dune links. You can hear the ocean, you can smell the ocean, the seagulls are there. It, uh, it's very much traditional in that sense, in a links sort of experience for me. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, I, and that exactly right. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Not only are we both first timers, but it, you've got that international experience through the British Isles. Um, 
to sort of, and in a way, I did want to try and talk to you about a little bit of comparison, and we might get to that a little bit later yep. as to some of those experiences because it's kind of one of very few real genuine or what people say is a genuine Lynx experience that we have in Australia. We've got the sand belt, which isn't quite that because it's not on the water's edge, it's not on the ocean and that sort of stuff, and, and it doesn't have that exact same feel. Whereas this is actual Lynx land. It's that from the agricultural um area with the fertile soils to that sort of infertile, sandy, dune sparse area that they can't really do much with, and it's not the beach either. Yep. So it is that. And, and yeah, so I, I the reveal was, was there, and I love a driveway entrance. I love a driveway entrance. And that was the reveal, was going through the, the, the rural towns, the rural farmlands, the logging areas up over a few of the hills to get to the northeast coast. And then you get to the driveway and you drive in and then, and, and you see it as you're coming in and it's there. It's, that's the first reveal of many <laughs> that you experience at Barn Bugle. And for me, not having experienced anything like that before, it was this amazing sense of if this is the beginning, if this is my first step, what's the second step like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was impressive. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And I think, the thing that stood out for me, and, and you'd seen the pictures, you know, that they've got the sign, the big sign there, which a lot of people stop and take a photo at. Uh, it's just a nice big sign. It says, you know, Barnboogle and, and uh, you know, the fences are farm fences. And, you know, the, the, the really nice thing, you know, if you want to talk about some of the little details around the place, the, the knickknacks or the, some people refer to them, the coarse furniture. You know, Richard, yeah. Sa- Richard Sattler built all of those. You know, he's, he, he and his team built them all from stuff on the property. You know, yep. the, 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 the T markers and the, and the uh, post and rail fences and all that sort of stuff just came from the, so there's nothing over the top. It's all very understated no. and very in sync with the, the landscape. And, you know, they haven't tried to make it, you know, over effusive in terms of all of those sort of coarse furnitures that you can put on golf courses. And for me, that's an immediate sort of double tick. Uh, yeah. Cause you just, you really are just focusing on, you know, that reveal and that landscape just, set itself apart and stand out because that's what you want, it, that's what you want to stand out totally totally i agree and it keeps it, it grounded it keeps it earthy it keeps it like you said natural to the to the local environment all of those things there's nothing you that's what kind of makes it feel 100 years old already right yeah. don't you reckon oh abs- well absolutely i missed the that's, that's- I missed the big reveal that the, that you experienced because I was I had my head in my backpack trying <laughs> trying to dig out some clothes because you know our trip down there was on Virgin from Melbourne down to Launceston picked up a rental car, uh, rental car rental cars aren't cheap in Tassie by the way just let listeners know so <laughs> if you can if you can pre plan and pre book and get a deal on a rental car if you are going that way um, yeah makes sense and, and it also please factor that in if you're thinking about flying direct out of with Air Adventure or someone like that to direct you know, factor that stuff in because anyway, um, but I had my head in my backpack trying to get my golf clothes out because I was essentially got changed in the car because we were like straight on the tee. So it was like, right, let's go. And the boys went up and checked in and I was getting changed and all the bags out of the bags and the, in the back of the Triton Ute and off we went. And it was like, <laughs> Oh, here we are. We're here. So yeah. 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 yeah mate. Uh, look, it was, um, yeah, that's the first step. That's the first part of, of the, the experience that that is Barn Bugle, and uh, look, I'll say it now: this conversation that we're talking about today in this interview is it's going to be a little bit off the cuff. I, I want it to 
to come across as raw to the listeners where um, they're going to try and I want to try and talk about it in a sense that they're going to experience it as well when they go there, if they haven't been already. So, um, mate, what are your thoughts on um, let's start off before we get to the golf course, because we were staying on site and we stayed at the June side of things. I'm not sure where you ended up staying, but we were in the, which was cool. The little Brighton beach houses, I call them because I've, I've been down there to that part of Melbourne where they've just got these little huts. And they're cool sitting above the practice screen. Just it's about 150 metres on from the clubhouse at the June scores. And the little two bedroomers to stay on site. And I, I think it was probably one of the most cost-effective ways to stay on site at Barn Bugle. It was, again, another one of those elements that was just in sync with the place, right? It, it was just kind of, it just you look at it and you go, of course that's what we're staying in. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they, I didn't. I didn't stay there. I stayed over on the Lost Farm side. And but you know, the the memory, the early memory of uh, Barnboogle and talking about trips, because Barnboogle Dunes was built before Lost Farm, so that was the okay. first style of accommodation that you could have there. Yeah. So my memories and looking at it and and googling it were all about those little um, you know, box, yeah. you know, box style beach boxes. I've got them at the end of the street here at the beach where uh, near where I live. So I get yeah. why I get why you call them that, but they're obviously bigger and obviously yeah, much more yeah, sure. that. But you know, there's I think there's eighteen of them. I counted and uh, you know, just running down sort of beside the first tee, there's a little chipping and putting green. So yep. I could imagine you, you know, you blokes were out there with a, a cold one, having a bit of a chip and a putt and a chat, and 100%. had had been across to the uh, the dunes um, bar there, which you get some a great sort of bar style meals. It's a beautiful. Uh, inviting you know, as an open fireplace, all the trophies. I don't know if you noticed the trophies of all of the, the groups that go down there. Uh, that I leave didn't, their trophies. disappoints me because I'd heard about this afterwards and I was like, damn, why didn't I see that? Yeah, so there's all these so. trophies there and they're weird and wonderful trophies. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see the the eclectic nature of how us golfers think in, in those trophies alone, uh, the, the, the names that they have for their tournaments and the yeah, there was. I think there was even like uh, stuffed birds or magpies, and yeah, there was all uh, weird and wonderful things. Uh, <clears throat> but you know, to think that you've got that just a hundred meters away, you've got your accommodation, the first tee just there. Not too many places in the world you can do that, really. No, and and, and again, for me, that was another tick. I'm looking at it, going, well, that's perfect. That just works. Mm. You know, the look of it, the feel of it. It's two bedrooms in each one, plenty of space for for a few people. Um, you know, and plenty of those little um, huts uh, right next to the clubhouse, right next to and And that was probably something that I didn't notice because we played the dunes first and then went to the Lost Farm was the differences in that there is still a resort. So if you wanted that style of accommodation, it's available to you. And I like that, that there's choice. I like that it covers for, and yes, the farm was built afterwards, but I like that they've brought that into the property so that, you know, for someone that prefers that style of accommodation, it's there. If you're going with the wife, you can go and start there. And it has a day spa at the Lost Farm. But the dunes is more for just a golfer, if that's the right way of saying it, that wants to get in there and stay on site and experience everything. The clubhouse has got, you know, good meals that are affordable, that it's not an over-the-top restaurant where it's upper class or anything like that. It's great food, great offers of, of beers and whatever behind the bar, very cash. And all of that for me was very appealing to anyone who wants to just be able to go down there and experience it in the, in the probably the most accessible form of yep. being able to do so. 
Yeah, well, we stayed across at Lost Farm. Once again, I put it in the hands of um, uh, Cat Magic Mike Caridi, who's been there, I think, seven or eight times. So yeah, yeah, there, sure. there was no one more experienced to, to organise a trip than him uh, in my sphere. And uh, we stayed across there. It is a more of a resort slash hotel, but very nicely done, understated. Yeah. You know, it's not over – it's in sync with the, the landscape, put it that way. That's how I would describe yeah. it. Uh, nice rooms, little balconies looking out over the course, once again onto a putting green. Uh, yeah, nice. Two double bedrooms, uh, two double beds in our room with a big separate divider so you could, you know, divide it across. Yeah, cool. Very, very comfortable. And then a wonderful restaurant. And then over on Lost Farm, you've got the famous uh, sports bar, you know, yeah. where you can. And isn't that a good spot? Where you can have a bet and uh, there's all the screens up and you can get pizza there. It's beautifully made pizza. Just, you know, the, the, the lady or the guy pouring the beer is making the pizza and it's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, sunset over out there to the um, to the west and looking out over Lost Farm, it's just magnificent. Mag- no, magnificent. Look, and and those are the, the details that I think you don't appreciate when you're there so much is when you think back and you go, why was it that it worked so well? Why was it that not only did the dunes work and it was built first, then you go to the farm and we went to the restaurant up there and had a feed and we went to the sports bar and had a feed, did all that sort of stuff, had a few drinks after we played the farm. All, like you said, it, it's, it, it's built in and it sits well to the property. It's not a big, you know, eyesore sticking out off the top of a dune. It's beautifully done, beautifully designed. It's, it's well appointed and it's got all the elements of fun as well inside that so there's just so much to take in that you probably don't realize it until i'm gonna be honest i'm still digesting my experience yeah and <laughs> and i don't know if you noticed but um a couple of little things that i'll point out while we're talking about the surroundings and you know, yeah, before sure. we get into the golf experience uh the restaurant up there at lost farm i, I think we were had dinner at the same time i think you 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 guys came in after and sat down yeah. down the way a bit later we were a bit before you and um I don't know if you noticed, but it was all Richard Sattler's family. A lot of yeah, Richard Sattler's family there working at the time, but I noticed afterwards. Yeah, I think I think I haven't met uh, Biz, but I think Biz and her sister Penny were there, and I think Penny is the general manager of of, of Lost Farm, and Biz does a lot of the marketing. And Stephen, uh, their brother, was working there, and just just making everyone feel wonderful. And that was the other part of uh, all of the staff there were just fantastic you know that just if there is that traditional tasmanian hospitality it is embodied in in barnburgle dunes very much so and you know it's very hard to knock anything about that experience you know roscoe and the other guy in the lost farm and then um oh, jeepers weepers uh daniel uh, da- maybe daniel damien over there in, in barnburgle dunes uh pro yep, shop that's right yeah just just couldn't you know wanted that wanted to know more about where where you who you were and where you were from than than tell you about their place you know they were as interested as you as as you were about them and it was great and the, um so the whole the whole thing is is just it's what you expect from a any family owned business that you sort of subscribe to or, or go towards because you like that way it, it's very much made you feel like that and not not this big corporate sort of thing and I've, and I've seen that you know I've, I've dropped in it you know, like a Donald Trump course in, in Ireland at Doonbeg, and yep. it felt different. It was very corporatized. It was very systemized. It, it just it was a different place, but it just lacked that little bit of what I would expect in that Irish sort of country pub stop type feel. Yeah, it was, sure. It was just very regimented. And yeah, okay. 
Bamboogle was was like what I expected, you know, when you're in Ireland sort of thing. Yeah, and like, yeah, like you said, the, the family works there, they're involved in it, they're, they're part of it, and it makes it feel homely. Like you don't, probably don't realise, it's like, it's like turning up and you, you don't know, we didn't know anyone when we turned up, but everyone was just like, you know, how can we help? You know, information you wanted to know, this is some little tips and tricks around the way and what can we do for you afterwards and, and all this sort of stuff. Like the, the, I can't remember the name of the guy running the bus between the two properties, which is a free little shuttle bus that goes between back and forth. And he was giving us inside stories and you didn't ask any question. I'm just happy to tell you what's going on mm. and background stories about how the place came to be and all this sort of thing. And it was, it was just like catching up with an old friend you hadn't seen for a long time. It's kind of how it felt. It was amazing. And just, it's, they're things you can't teach either. Yeah. They have to be people. And some of the staff are, are friends of Richard. Some of them, I, um, you talked about the course furniture and I later found out that I think it's, is it Reg's hut that's out in the back of the fourth mm-hmm. on the Dunes course? Well, he, I, I met him out the back doing work, building the bits of timber when I was getting a, a tour around the back with the superintendent, Phil Hill. And uh, we bumped into Richard, who was out the back just doing a little bit of work and, and making sure everything was going properly and solving problems as he does. Um, and then he's just like, oh, here's, you know, this is Reg and he's built all the furniture around here and all the, you know, all the, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and he's there great. just doing work. And, and happy, hey, nice to meet you. You know, how are you? Enjoying your time here? And I was like, this is incredible. And that come from Richard, that come from, from Reg, anyone. Phil, it didn't matter who it was. They were all the same friendly, homely, accepting, and very inviting type of people, which made the experience incredible. It, Yeah, I just dawned on me I hadn't really thought about it but it, I just had this flashback of my childhood and as you know I'm from the Hunter Valley you know where your brother's yep. got a place and um yep. it reminded me of, of my childhood upbringing around in and around Tyrrells you know the yeah Tyr- right there yeah. you go yep it was very it very much felt like that you know like maybe not Tyrrells now because it's changed but Tyrrells of the old where Murray Tyrrell would be always there making sure that everything was all right Bruce Tyrrell his son was there um you know my dad was there and you know my dad was very much uh, a disciple of Murray Tyrrell and the way that he operated his business. And it felt like that family, yep. you know, people out the back in the workshop, you know, they had cows, they had wine, they had other <laughs> produce. And exactly you know, the, right. the, the guy that would be shoeing the horses, you know, was bottling the wine and, you know, and then all that sort of stuff. So it reminded me of that. It was great. I loved it. Uh, yeah. And, and all that, like you said, look, I love the bush. I love rural um, energy. I love the rural experience and, and what people bring in a rural feel and a rural setting. And I think Farm Bugle just oozes all of that. And I think that's another reason why it's such a wonderful experience as well. So, um, you know, th- these are all parts of what makes uh, the trip there so memorable, I think. Now, mate, let's, let's move into the golf side of the life which is the main reason we're all traveling there. We're not traveling down there for feed. We're, 20, we're 29 <laughs> minutes in. Hopefully, hope everyone's stayed this far, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it is all part of it. Yeah. Um, the dunes and the lost farm, mm. two, two different courses, opposite sides of the, uh, I can't even remember the name of the, the cut that's made through there, that, that water body cut that divides both, it's a man-made cut um, that divides both courses. Uh, I've got it written down here somewhere, but, they are done by two different architects. Um, I played the dunes first, played the farm second, went black and played the dunes again and then again because uh, we were staying on that side. 
I don't know which way around you did it. Um, what was your thoughts after having played, let's start off with the Jens. What were your thoughts and feels um, about some of the details and some of the things you experienced playing the Jens for the very first time? Yeah. I had a couple of surreal moments of thought early on in the piece. You know, once I'd sort of got changed and got settled into that first hole, par five, and, and very much like a lot of you know, traditional links, the, the first <laughs> hole, and we're not going to do a hole by hole, so don't worry about that, but <laughs> the first hole is, is quite gentle. You know, there's yeah. a little bit of a blind tee shot over the hill there and it takes you out, but it's it's a gentle par five. The second's a little gentle, and then you start getting into the real links country, and that's quite typical of a lot of you know good links courses. They start you off fairly easy, and then they go, wow. And then they, yeah, might, right. they might finish you a little easier as well. But, um, <laughs> you know, first thing is I sort of remember taking a moment and we talked about having travelled and, you know, I haven't been able to see family and my wife's family in Scotland. So we haven't done that. And I've been missing that sort of Lynx Golf travel experience. I do yeah. distinctly remember sitting there maybe on the second hole and feeling the grass on my feet and smelling and just closing my eyes. And I just remember thinking that, this is as close as I'm going to get for a while to being in Scotland. So wow. em, em, embrace this moment because this is a that's exactly what it feel, felt like. You know, there's a thing about walking on fescue and playing golf on fescue. And as you said early on, you know, there's not that many True Links golf courses in Australia. Uh, and there's only a few with proper fescue fairways. Bar yeah. Google is obviously that on both sides. And walking on fescue, if you haven't done that, and, and if you haven't been to Bar Google, you probably haven't, um, is a different feeling. And it just for I just remember stopping myself going, this feels like Scotland. You know, I'm, I'm a feet. My connection to the earth felt like Scotland. I know, I know this is starting to sound a little bit deep and a bit mushy, but that's exactly how I felt. And it was a little bit emotional at the time because you know we were real, I was realizing what we had missed. But then you know when you go back to the course, you know wow, it is it is every bit of links golf that you'll ever want and more. Uh, it, it delivers, and you know I've heard a lot of podcasts and a lot of discussion. You know, is it more Scotland? Is it more more Ireland? And and when you talk Scotland yeah. v Ireland, yeah, you know, there are a lot of similarities, but there are a couple of I think ways of distinguishing distinguishing some of the courses. Like depending on where you are in Scotland, a lot of the links land is a little flatter, and the undulations are a little yeah. bit more subtle, a little bit more you know pot bunker use, you know, scattered all yeah. around, and you you can and can't see, and but it's still very you know undulating, but maybe not to scale. Certainly, some of the golf that I've experienced in Ireland was more akin to what we saw at Barnboogle Dunes. You know, the height, yeah. the height of the dunes, the depth of the dunes, the the reveals, you know, where, where, where you've got fairways tucked in and around and, and, and dunes in the middle of fairways, you know, like the, the most famous one of all time, I think, of dunes in the middle of fairway is the uh, maybe the fourth hole at La Hinch, um, which, is, which is still a Tom Morris original design. That's one of the holes yeah, that right. they never changed, and it's got a big dune in the middle of the fairway. It's only a short par five. That's called Klondike. But a big dune in the middle of the fairway. Now there's a, there's a little bit of that in some of the holes there at dunes where the dunes pop out into the fairway, and you've got to really either craft a shot depending on the wind over it, around it, to the side of it, and plot your way depending on the conditions and uh, and what type of shots you you know capable of making. And that's that's another element. You know you've got to have every shot in your bag to if you want to play sort of well around there. If you give a damn about your score. So you know for me those that dunescape there. Um, just reminded me very much of some of the courses I played in Ireland, like Narran and Portneu, some of the holes out the back there, and, and the back nine at Tralee had a little bit of that sort of going on in, in some respects. Most people might challenge me on that, but um, yep. it certainly had you know that massive wow. Um, 
is it a course for me for every day? I, I probably would maybe play the other side every day if I had to have, have an everyday course down there. But Seeing the farm, you mean? Yeah. Um, yep. But it's it's one that you – we played it twice on the last day. We played it three times in total when we were there. And we played it – we were only going to play it once on the last day we were there. We went round again. And it just – it never got old, you know, just, despite how tired our legs were. We just <laughs> – we thought we thought we thought we'd just play maybe nine holes, and then we just kept going and going. It was great. So I don't know if that that starts to answer your question, Steve. Look, it's it's a it's a really long answer to be honest. I think anyone who's played there for the first time, when you try and describe your first experience, you, you're right. And and there's does it answer the question? Look, I I, I think it does. Uh, I think um, we talked about how does it compare in the world landscape of of link style golf courses. And there you go. You've, you've given some good points to, and, and I've got no idea, so I can't do that. Um, but I, I agree with you. It's, it's good to actually hear you talk about how it made you feel like it was close to home. If you know, being in Scotland for you with that Scottish heritage. Um, and you had that feel that, that walk on the, the fescue fairways, that the, the, the smell, I suppose, of the salt as well in the air and, and just that, that, that wind coming off the water and um, the sights and sounds and, and that sort of stuff as well. It's, it is different to anything I've ever experienced in golf as well. And, and um, I kind of know what you're saying and you've got those comparisons to draw on. For me, it's, it's, it's like driving a car for the first time. Mm. You're like, what's, what's all this and where's this going and how does that work? And, and I've got to try and react to different feelings or whether it be the wind and whether it, you know, I've played in a golf course in the Blue Mountains, all of them. It's very windy being a kilometre in the sky, but also being on the coast uh, where Barbugal is, it gets very windy as well. But it's the way it works and, and eddies around some of those dunes and it feels different on the ground and it's so different up in the air. And um, the movement the thing that surprised me, having seen lots of photos and never really been, never been to the British Isles for golf, is that the way that the dunes landscape is if I, I've been on plenty of coastal areas in June, so it'd be fishing and, and all that sort of stuff and, and travel to them. But when you have a golf course routed in amongst sand dunes, it's really hilly all of a sudden, all of a sudden. Yeah. and it's not that the course plays hilly, but they're all there. Like they're, they're everywhere. Yeah. And the walk between, so when it's, so Tom Doak designed and his team and Mike Clayton, Tom Doak and Mike Clayton designed, um, the dunes course for those that, that are interested in that side of things. Um, I think there's a lot more movement in the fairways on the dunes side than there is on the lost farm side. And you touched briefly on, would you play it every day? Um, would you be happy to play it every day? I think it would be very brutal to play every day at the dunes course uh, because it is quite tough. Um, did I absolutely adore it? Uh, for sure. Um, and you're right, I agree with you. I think the Lost Farm is a more gentle experience for everyday place. You don't do that anyway because it's not that type of a golf course. But um, there's a lot of movement in there that I didn't realise. And you see it on photos and you see it in videos and nothing like that ever gives you a sense of reality. When you're there, things are hidden. Like there's, there's you, If you're on the left side of the fairway, you can be blinded by this towering dune. Um, and you've got to try, if you've never played the, the course for the first time, it does get in the road and you don't know how to play it. And, and you'll walk after you've played a shot. And, oh, I could have played there and run it around. So there's things built into the course, which I love. 
about running the ball around in areas or hitting it long and you could allow for it to roll back, like the first. Yep. A gentle opening par five, which is great, but it's super receptive. Once you, you see what you can do, you can hit it long mm. up the back of the first and it'll roll back down to the green. And so when you're playing into the wind on that hole, which usually the prevailing is sort of northwesterly, uh, west-northwest, you can overclub it knowing that you can hit into that breeze and it come back. And there's a lot of that really built in, I found, to the, to the green um, complexes at the dunes where once you started to learn, and you talked about you, one of your team members, it's been there seven times, um, you're going to know where you can do that. And I think that's really, really cool. That's a, a really fun part of the Dunes course that I really enjoyed as well. But I was overwhelmed by the movement in the ground. That was the part that really got me. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think it takes once, – once you've played it once, like I it was just in awe, but um, yeah, you start to realise that you do – you can take advantage of, of that ground movement and the ground shapes and flows. And, and Tom and, and Mike, you know, as great architects – they, they are, you know, they're, they're taking references from the stuff that they've seen overseas, you know, the great links courses that they've traveled yeah. the world to go and, and absorb and embrace and then, you know, try and recreate as much of that in the, as they can when they give us Barnburgle. And, yeah. you know, that's a really important part of, of uh, links golf is, is having the ability to understand the ground game benefit of, of fescue fairways, you know, the ball just, bounces off and runs up and rolls pr- pretty true. And if you can, you know, you play that sort of shot, so you're keeping it out of the wind, um, you know, the course is there to give you a little bit of a hand. But you have to be, you know, you have to be, you still have to make a good shot. It's not going to make it easier because you're not hitting the ball up into the wind. It gives you a little bit of a hand if you can understand and see and read and interpret where the ground's going um, and you can use it to your advantage. Yep, and I, and I think knowing how windy it can get, and I experienced it, I think you you did too. Uh, we went from day one, which I was there the day before you, where there was next to no wind, and that was why it was such an interesting experience. The next day, I found when we were playing, it was nearly a four-club wind um, into the prevailing, and holes like the fourth, which is a shortish par four, with that giant bunker, became you know, drive, <laughs> drive five-iron, drive six-iron into the wind. But if you play it along the ground in other holes like the third, you, the wind doesn't really affect you at all. And that's why I, I'm thinking about the golf course. Is it, it's acceptable or it's, it's um, receptive to all types of players. Mm. Apart from the fact that you can't get a cart unless you, ha- you have a medical certificate, which I get, um, it's receptive to people who, who can't hit it in the air for a great deal of the year, who can't fly at 150 metres. Yep. So anyone can experience golf there, which was really fascinating as well because a lot of modern designs get lost in waters and waste carries and all that sort of stuff. And they're there if you play from the back tees, the waste carry. But you get to pick where, and that's the other thing I like, is you get to pick where you want to play from. They don't tell you where to play from. And I've banged on about this forever and a day, that um, you should experience the golf course how you want to experience the golf course not how people tell you to experience a golf course because it's a, it's a personal thing. And, and the first thing that I, when we rolled up was, you know, where do you want to hit off from guys? How good's that? I've, I've already, I've already gone. I'm accepted into this place. Mm. So I can choose my own adventure. It was brilliant. Where did you hit off from? 
<laughs> where we played from the is it the terracottas? Yeah. I've got hang on, hang on, hang on, here we go, here we go, here we go. The yeah, the terracotta, terracotta one. That's yeah. my little yep. thingy. Yeah, we played terracotta um, too. I went and had a look at some of the uh the back tees and in 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 those four club wins that you refer to, uh, it's uh, it's a it's serious serious stuff. There's a, there's some of them are, are long, but even <laughs> you know, talk about the wind that you said. Um, so we missed that first day, which was no wind. Um, but according to Magic Mike Caridi, even the winds that we experienced on the days that we were there together were were like light zephyrs compared to what he's experienced. Wow. Uh, really? The, and sorry, I'm, you know, the holes and hole numbers for me uh, in my sort of lack of a, uh, numeracy skills uh, memory sort of don't gel that quickly. But there's a, over on the Lost Farm, there's a par four, the short one, uh, fairway r- rises around to the right, and there's a quite a big carry, but it's only a short par four. He, he, I hit five wood long on the first time, and then three iron to pin high, uh, just in that sort of beer rich yeah, sort right. of swale on the left side. Still made a five. Um, but uh, he said when he played there the previous time, they hit. he showed me where he hit driver to. And he still had, right. like he hit a driver like 110 metres into the wind. <laughs> and that's it, right? They're, they're, it, it, it's such a different golf course every day. Both of them are different golf courses every day, which is what I I thought was, was really interesting as well. And to design those courses to be playable, in those winds, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I say it first out, I'm terrible in the in a strong wind. I can't control my ball, probably because I just try and hit it too hard all the time. But I, I'll always go for broke, and I'll probably pull it off about 10% of the time, and then the other, <laughs> I'm cursing why the wind is so strong. I've got to learn that skill. Um, but you can play. That's the beauty of it, is that I found you can, if you wanted to, and not be an idiot like me most of the time, you can you can nudge your way around that golf course in those really strong windy days and uh, and and play. Mm. It's not unplayable. I'm sure there are winds that it will be, but generally speaking, it's more often playable in in all of those windy days. And I've played plenty of courses where you can get a really windy day and and they are unplayable. I think I've seen some wind down there on some of the videos and videos that my customers have shown me that I would say it's almost unplayable. <laughs> if you had a choice, if you had a choice, if you're there, you're there, you just go out and, you know, you got to, sure. Yeah, you know, if you're going to get wet, you got to sw- yeah, swim, you got to get wet. But uh, I've seen some, you know, flag bending winds on videos. What was, what was your favourite part about, you know, the in a snapshot, oh, your favourite parts of the uh, Bumbugle Dunes? The, the favourite parts of the Dunes course I found – and this might sound a bit odd. I found the design where this is what I picked up. Now I haven't had a time to think about it and go back and, and really think about it in detail, but the the holes that went west and northwest and holes like the fourth, the Tom's little devil, the little par three, mm-hmm. the flick par three. Yep. Um, even the third, the first is not a very long par five. Um, so all those holes facing, facing that direction uh, and the couple coming home, 17, 18, were on paper relatively short holes. And the holes in the easterly direction on paper were relatively long holes. And I, I talk about the front because I played the front so many times, not only just when we played the 18 holes, but uh, there's the fifth is a long par three as well. Um, so the easterly direction facing holes are a little bit longer on paper. So when it comes to and holes like the eight as well, which is a, 
a great golf hole. So when it comes to the prevailing wind, you could kind of see why more often than not it was blowing from the west-northwest that those short holes on paper, so like the fourth is I think 200 and, you know, let's say it's 270 metres, 290 metres, um, it plays 340, right, into most of the wind. And the other holes that are long um, are downwind. So the short holes are into the wind, the long holes are downwind. While I was there playing, uh, I got a message from a follower on Instagram and said, when they played, the wind was the opposite and it was blowing from the east. And I thought, I said to my playing partners, that's going to be tough. Imagine playing all those long holes like the eight, like the long par three fifth into the wind. Well, that happened to us on, I think, our last day. It was a, about a three-club wind into an easterly. The holes like eight, I had driver, driver, and I was still having a shot into the ground yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a wedge. Yeah. And, and so I love that the design of the holes was short into the wind. On paper, it, you're like, oh, I can capitalize on this. No, no, you can't really. You've still got to play good golf. So for me, that was a little nuance that I really liked and I enjoyed because I'd sort of go on paper more than um, I look at it and go in my head what I'm going to capitalize on before I get out there. So I stand on the tee, oh, it's 290 meters, no worries. I've got a three on this, par four, and I walk away with six. <laughs> Is that the one where the green, there's a sway, a big sort of hollow before the green and you, the green's up? That's the- it. Yeah. That's, is that the eight? Uh, I'm just I'm just trying to remember. I've got my stroke. The long par four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that hole. Oh, that was hard. So hard. Yeah. And the big dune on the right of the green, the little bunker there. Yeah, yeah. I climbed that dune one afternoon. I just went walking and this is what I love doing. I just walked and I walked the course and I just went everywhere and I went bush bashing in the, the dunes up the marram grass and up the top of things. And, and I got a message from um, Tom Doak on one of my things and he said uh, he hadn't seen that angle before up the top of the dune next to the eighth. I climbed it. I see something hill. I've got to climb it to get a good photo or video. And I've taken a 360 video and a photo from up there. And it looks incredible. And the cloud, it was overcast. It just looked like, I don't know, we could have been, we could have been anywhere. It was like something out of the, the Lord of the Rings. Um, it was magnificent. Yeah, it's a tough hole. Like, I, remember, I remember, I think, I can't remember what, like, I might have hit driver, driver off the, off the deck at one on the same day, I, I reckon. I, I reckon I hit a really good drive to the top. It's the plateaued fairway, which I quite liked. So yep. I had a nice little target on the left-hand part of the fairway, so I hit a good shot there. And I think on one hole, maybe I hit two iron, and I pulled it left into the marum, so I might have lost my ball there. And then the next time then the next time I played, I just had to hit it out to the below the green and chip it up the um, up the hill. But I, I like that, that little grass pathway that leads yeah. up the hill. That's very, very... Very it Irish looks like things. a cattle track, right? Yeah. When you see cattle tracks out on farms, I've seen plenty of them out west and regional New South Wales up hills, where it's just this little narrow level patch where their their hooves have just benched yeah. it out a little bit. When you go to a place like the Hinch, you know they've got fescue paths and they're beautifully manicured, like they cut them with every day with greens mowers. Yeah, um, oh, yeah right. from T to green. But in other areas, you know, you've got paths like that everywhere. And it just reminded me of little paths around La Hinch that uh, weave up in and around the dunes that just take you to the places where you might have hit it, but they're not the main pathways. But yeah, but uh, little adventures. Yes. So, yeah. So, mate, uh, for me, it was that short into the wind, long down for the prevailing. And the same with the back nine. You got 10, 11, which are long holes. Then you hit 12 as a short path four that you think is drivable. Same, I think, with 15. I think it's a short one along the water. 
out the back. Mm-hmm. For me, the back was a little bit less memorable because we didn't play it so many times because we were staying in a little hut. So every afternoon we just play the front nine of the dunes. Um, so I only played the back nine once. I think it was. We played. Oh, sorry, twice. And I played the front nine about four or five times. <laughs> um, but that was that was what I remembered. It was short holes that were short on paper that weren't, and long holes that were were long on paper that were you know that, that played death. Yeah. It was great. I love that little detail. 15 is the one with the big drop-off on the left-hand side, the big swale on the left-hand side of the green. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, yep. and you've got the cut, that water cut, yep. the creek between the two courses down the, down the far western end of the property. Yep. Uh, eastern end of the property, sorry. I think I tried to drive that green without success uh, most times. I, I tried to drive par fives with no success. I tried to drive that one with no success. I was trying to do a Bryce I think we all were at some point where we thought it was reachable. Once again, I can't, uh, I can't remember which hole it was, but Magic Mike Caridi hit a shot. I think he drove one of the short par fours twice. Like his, nice. his, his predominant left to right prevailing shot shape. He just uh, started started the ball southwest, ended up coming back northeast and uh, just dobbed it on the green two times. It was uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> so, mate, what was your takeaway from the Junes? Oh, the par threes for me, I, you know, like par threes for me always stand out because they, I sometimes struggle with them. You know, like for me, they're making it makers or breakers of, of good scores for me um, because, you know, as a lower handicapper, you know, you, you need to be parring those and, and taking opportunities to get birdies. And if you don't, if your game's anywhere near off, then, you know, just mark down a bogey. And, yep. you know, so to stand on the par threes like Tom's Little Devil and 90 metres, I, I think we played it. Well, we definitely played it one, two, three times, and we might have on that second day we played it twice. Had a couple of extra shots, and the best person to play it in our group was the one that had the worst handicap. Um, you know, he just played a perfect shot, dobbed it up near the pin, and wow. uh, yeah, he hit the only shot that he was capable of, just like a normal wedge, and just dropped it near the pin and sunk the birdie in, and. Yeah, me, I was trying to flight one under the wind. I was trying to hit it into there and let it come down. I just had no chance. Like, I, I was over the back twice. I was in the bunker once. But um, what a great little hole. So, uh, and then the, what's the first par three? Is that the fifth? Um, the fifth, the long par three fifth. Yeah, so once again, it sets up for me a nice little knockdown fade, you know, with a reasonable. And as you play it around the far left, you can, you can swing yeah. it right out and, with that down breeze, you can just carry it. It's got some big slopes on the left, right up in the high surrounds that yeah. can feed back down the green. Yeah, you're right. So Magic Mike Caridi played his, you know, Malinga Slinger uh, from left to right, <laughs> ended up about five feet. And, you know, I sort of, I'll just hit a knockdown. I'll try and just draw it over the right and just sort of come back down. And But uh, no, that wasn't the right way to play it. So watch your, watch your playing partners as well. <laughs> if they've been there before, watch what they do and do what they do. Don't, yes, yeah. it is helpful even though you think you've got it licked and you can do something else. <laughs> There's a reason why, why they're playing it the way they're playing it. Uh, but, you know, as you say, some, you know, the, the off-course stuff as well, you know, that reveal of the walkway that everyone talks about from four round to five up to Reg's hut there, you know, you, you if you haven't been there, you don't know exactly what's coming because you're just walking up yep. in June and you don't know fully how close you are to the water. And you mm-hmm. just walk up there through through a June and then all of a sudden you've got this beautiful, you know, bass straight, blue water, gently lapping on the sands, a little hut there. If you go in the hut there, there's a whole heap of history. Yeah, um, little stories. Stories about the, the, the land and the, and the local area, which is great. I uh, took some photos. I, I was holding the people back reading it, so I just took some photos yeah. of that. I don't know, little things like that, mate. I just, just loved it all. 
Oh, mate, exactly right. And 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 I wish I'd have been there for another week. <laughs> if I'm being honest, but but they're they're all the details. And, and that walk from the fourth green to the fifth tee, everyone talks about. And again, one of those expectations that I had, and it far far exceeded what that was because I was on the fourth green. And I'm like, wow, what a golf hole! I'm walking up the back, thinking how good that hole was. Could I have played it better? What am I going to do when I play there in a couple of days again? And then you just, you you know, walking through those two dunes and up the path and you see the hut and you just go, whoa, this is the edge of the state. Yeah. <laughs> it's the edge of the island. So, Steve, what, from an agronomy perspective, you know, and having seen Fescue, I'm not sure if it was your first time or whatever, but ha- having, you know, now seen it and played on it, uh, you know, thoughts? You know, what, what... Uh, look, I, um, it's, I mean, we, we grew fescues and rye, but, in the mountains, um, cool season grasses, but they were in amongst, so we call them um, in amongst cooch, and the cooch was a nurse grass. So you had this change of the season. So you'd have cooch in summer and fescues and, and ryegrass in winter. Um, it wasn't straight fescue. What I loved about, I think there's a sign, if you might recall, as you walk to the first tee, it says um, something like, "Don't, don't, um, we don't use sand here or something. I can't remember exactly what the sign said because you don't carry sand bucket. Replace you just I think it says replace replace your divots because they grow back. Yeah, so so all the way around because you so there's very very minimal thatch when you have cooch and warm season grasses. There's a really big thick mat of of thatch and root matter and and stolons and rhizomes and all that sort of stuff. And it comes out as carpet if it's a little bit soggy. Otherwise, your you club more or less bounces a little bit off that that um, medium in the top part of the soil. Fescue doesn't have that. It, it doesn't really have that really thick surface just below the, the turf leaf. So you're taking rolls. And my brother, you might have seen that, that he, he loves hitting good wedges and he hits the ball first and then he takes about a metre of turf afterwards. It rolls up nicely and you could take it away if you wanted to. But he, he, he was taking out these big, long rolls. And any shot you hit where you skimmed it, you, could, you were taking just a... a you know, it might've been three or four inches long and you pick it up and you put it back and they do grow back. And that's what I found was really interesting about the surface um, and how you, the club interacted with it. And then in turn, because it doesn't have that thatch, you have a better ground game. It doesn't have a cushion mm. to take away and, and give, like, and I can think of an extreme example, which is a lot of Sydney courses have Kaikuyu around their greens. A lot of people know it's very spongy and that, that feel. Fesky doesn't have that. So you've got a very minimal um, thatch interaction with the golf ball. So it's more on the ground. So the soil's there. So if it's wet and we had a bit of a wetter season this year um, and the boys were all saying how soft Barn Bugle was playing compared to normal, mm. um, I still found it had a, a good get ground game compared to what I've experienced here in New South Wales, certainly along the coast and up into Queensland. So um, from an agronomy pers- perspective and how that interacts with golf, um, there is a distinct difference in how the grass grows and how in turn your ball is really landing on and that's why it'll firm up a lot quicker. Uh, you'll get a lot more run and that ground game, as you get to a drier or a more normal year of rainfall, um, it will interact better. You'll get a little bit more run out of it and you'll get more rolling and, and these things will take effect so much more again. I loved it for the first time I've experienced it. And I know, um, you know, some of the, the, the sandbelt courses have, they've got cooch and that sort of stuff around there. And 
that's as good as you're going to get um, in terms of a competitive equivalent to fescue um, is a cooch because it grows quite thin. But at the same time, it's not fescue. No, it's, so it's nothing like there it. Was, there, in terms of you try and get the run of the ball as best you can, it deals with the temperatures so much better. That's why a lot of Victorian has uh, Victorian courses on the sand but have cooch. Um, it's easier to manage in summer, and they still get you still get forty degree temperatures in Melbourne. Mm. You don't get that in Tassie, yeah. so they can have this experience that the British Isles have, um, and it is better again for me. Uh, what it gives you in that ground game, the way that the ball you can sweep, the interaction with that soil, um, there's a lot about it to like. And I, look near near where we are in the Blue Mountains. Uh, where I used to work and grow up, they're doing a renovation to Blackheath Golf Club, and I'll throw to that quickly because they're getting fescue out of Melbourne for their green surrounds. Yeah, right. So there, this is this is where golf courses are moving if they can, and the mountains has a cool climate. They still get mid thirty degree temperatures in the peak of summer, but you can keep it alive for short periods, not like Sydney or Melbourne. And Tassie's got that long doesn't short periods of heat uh, and long periods of cool. So fescue is it's. I found a beautiful. You can putt off it. We're looking at putting from thirty odd meters away, <laughs> and and that's you know when you think about just to go back to the British Isles for a sec, you know that's so many people putt from thirty odd meters away, and um, because to to chip the ball, you know you, you just describe what happens there. You know you're chipping in the ball. The ball bounces and it, it's not as receptive to the spin. You, know, you mm. don't you don't spin a ball on a links green like you do on a sand belt. Not green. at all. You know, the ball bounces. And I remember the first time I played over there, like, you know, you throw in a high wedge and the ball just springs up and bounces and yeah. rolls through the back. And like, how did that happen? You know, like, what, what's yeah. going on here? And, you, and you've got to re- readjust. But, you know, if anyone wants to, you know, hasn't played off fescue, it is, for me, the best surface in the world to play off. And if you're wondering what, you know, these big parmigianas that uh, Steve's talking that his brother was uh, rolling out. <laughs> so if you think about some of the, the opens that you've seen on TV, you know, around Muirfield and St Andrews, and you've and you've seen those divots, those perfect divots fly out, which you know you may may not have ever been able to achieve that perfect divot flying out, and you see someone pat it back. That's that's fescue at work. You know that nice little perfect, you know, two dollar two dollar note size divot that just yeah. flies out, and you just put it back down, and away you go. Um, Are you showing your age talking about two dollar notes, mate? Is that- <laughs> I started I started with I started it with faxes. I'm not sure if two dollar notes were there when faxes were around, but. Um, yeah, exactly right. Uh, so that's what fescue does, and it it really is the best surface. And in in Australia, there's only a handful of courses that you can get that. I think some of Port Ferry is fescue. I think some okay. of the, the fairways at Fort, Port Ferry, when you get up to maybe ten of fescue, but it's a mixed blend of maybe cooch and and fescue up there. Uh, that's the common mix, to be fair, because it deals with the the heat tolerance. Yeah, great. Uh, so, the June, uh, sorry, um, Moon Links. The Greg Norman course, I think, might be fescue. Okay. Um, 13th Beach Beach course is, is fescue. I remember the first time I played there, and I remember saying to one of the members, I said, oh, my wedge game was just better here. You know, the club was going through the ground a bit better. He said, oh, it's because we've got fescue. And I, yeah, sorry. And, and, and that's it. There's, there's, there isn't that thickness of root matter in the surface that you get with a rhizomatous plant like any warm-season grass. That's mm-hmm. how they grow, and you don't have that. So, like I said, it, it's that interaction with the club but also there's, there's, there's less friction uh, from not as dense a, a sward as, as cooch grass as well. It kind of is, but isn't in the way that they grow. But 
you can putt from further out because it, it's almost like a green surface is the way that when you mow fescue, similar to mowing sort of poa or winter grass and, and bent grass, they're cool season grasses. So they go flat. That's why we use them as, as green surfaces because they're very fine leaf and they, they grow in a way that you can um, manicure them and maintain them as a putting surface. Fescue is the same. It's Fescue is the green surfaces at Barn Bugle. So is this continuity. You're going from fairway to green. So, and this is what people need to understand is it's the same, essentially the same grass from fairways to greens. And that's why they perform in a similar way. Just a little bit of a longer leaf on fairways gives you a little bit more friction, but that's why it allows you to putt from 30 metres away. Well, old Tom Morris, when he was building St Andrews, La Hinch, uh, and a lot of other courses in and around the British Isles, you know, that's what they were doing. Yep, yeah, exactly just... right. And we went engineering and, and breeding, you know, um, grasses for better performance. But again, Australia doesn't have that climate. Mm, the only yeah. place that really has that climate is Tasmania, King Island, um, anywhere south of, of Victoria, which only leaves one state, or high country, which yeah. is up the Snowy Mountains or any of the high country through Victoria. We don't really do a lot of golf through those parts. And the Blue Mountains. That's, and, the, and the Southern Highlands out of Sydney as well. So, but I, those courses don't do it. For mine, they're missing out. Black Easy is going through a change, and that's thanks to Harley Cruz as well, um, and some of his guidance in, in, in what he believes would, will help um, a golf course experience. Southern Highlands out of Sydney and the Blue Mountains out of Sydney, they should all be doing this. And there's no reason why, they, there actually is no reason why they can't. It's just, and in my opinion, it's laziness from the clubs and not knowing anything. That's what makes Barn Bugle so special. Yeah. It's one of the elements that makes it incredible. Well, I think that's you know that's why you get that's why you get Mike Clayton, Tom Doak, you know, Corin Crenshaw to come in and, and do what they do. Um, Absolutely, mate. Let's uh, let's go across that that creek, that cut that divides the water body that divides the the two courses and Sally, we'll skip to the last farm. Is it Sally's point that the, the point where that Creek has been cut, is that Sally's point? Is that what it's called? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm actually annoyed. I can't think of the name of the cut. I've got it here somewhere, but it's in my uh, notes somewhere along the lines, but I took a great, fo- I took a, I took a great photo, which uh Barn Bugle, uh, you'll find you on their, in, their Instagram uh, looking from, I think Lost Farm back across the Barn Bugle. So if you want to get a sort of sense of the separation, it, it, it looks across that creek. So anyway, Barn, oh, uh, Lost Farm, let's go back. Let's go to the Lost Farm, mate. Let's let's talk about what we thought of the farm. And I'll start first in by saying that I wish I'd have played the Lost Farm first. There you go. I wish I'd have played the Lost Farm first before the Dunes to ease my way into the landscape and the golf experience that that's had down there. And the reason I say that is because the lost farm for me has a much bigger June landscape. There's where the clubhouse sits and the restaurant up on top and the accommodation that you're up on high. It's, it's massive. And I felt that the golf course was because they were unusable for golf in terms of routing a fairway or, sort of over them and that sort of stuff, they were more valley type golf holes where they were in the base of the dunes with the dunes towering more often than not apart from the par threes, they were towering around the golf hole. And I felt that that was a gentler experience than, um, 
some of them, and I'm not saying they're not in, introduced into the fairways at all, because there's some, some beautiful uh, movement in the, in the golf holes, but more often than not, the one that sticks in my mind was the tent where you hit off the, um, just near the, the, you come back to the pro shop and you just see these giant run of dunes either side of you and you play down in this big valley and it's just incredible to stand there and look at what's ahead of you. And it felt, I'm not saying it was because my score didn't reflect it, but it felt more, um, more gentle. Each tee felt more gentle. I could look at it and go, okay, I just got to hit it. The first is, like landing on a runway yeah. and some of our guys missed it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> <And> name names. <laughs> no, I'm not going to name names. Some of them could actually play really good golf and they didn't hit the fairway at all. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. Well, uh, but that, so that, that's my first thing. I wish I'd have played the, the lost farm first from my experience to mm. get first and I can't ever do it again. I wish I'd have played it first to be, more to be brought into the experience more gentle. Yeah, no, fair Not enough. Wrong. Fair enough. Um, I was like you, I played Barn Beagle Dunes first and then Lost Farm. You know, we teed off in the dark on the second day because we played 40 holes that day. And oh, oh, wow. And yeah, my recollection didn't really keep score. Um, the other boys kept score and, and, and I was sort of scoring, but I reckon I had a couple of bad holes, but I had more good holes. Uh, so I reckon I maybe shot around two or three over. Uh, around uh, Lost wow. Farm, you know, I had an, I definitely had a couple of birdies. I had the first first birdie of the trip because that was the thing of having a, a birdie. And I think uh, maybe the first par five on at Lost Farm, I, no, not the first, um, but the uh, I can't, once again, I can't remember the holes, but maybe the yeah, yeah it's, it's in the front nine. Um, had a birdie there, and then had an eagle on nine, and so I was I was on fire a little bit. But after an eagle on nine, yeah. Yeah, just drove the green, sunk the putt. No, it was actually just a, a metre short of the green and, and put, putted it in. Great stuff. I, I thought it was a green that was probably drivable. A couple of us got up there close, but I don't think anyone got the eagle, mate. So well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> but you can see, like, it's to me, I sort of describe the difference if someone asked that it's more of a, a resort links type feel. Yeah, okay, okay. You know, and I don't know if that does justice and proves Richard Sattler. If you don't listen to this, um, please, if I hope I don't offend you, but it seemed to be built around being more appealing and less daunting to a greater number of people without the compromise of having a true links experience is the way that I would describe it. Okay. Therefore, yeah. you know, you, you have a little bit more ease of operation around the course, but, you know, you, you, there's no sacrifice to the experience that you're in some pretty um, impressive uh, territory. So I, I don't know if that sort of surmises yeah. how I feel about it. There was a couple of really hard holes. The I think the eighth par five is probably one of the hardest holes I've ever played. Great golf hole, but I agree. It's a very hard hole. I loved it, actually, and I think I had a seven. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question again, Steve. I'll just sort of wax on, but... Um, it wouldn't have bothered me which one I played first, but I did play better on the sec on that day because I'd sort of warmed up on Barnbuckle Dunes the day before and had my golf legs a bit about me a little bit more and was able to hit a better, you know, had just a bit of better feel for what was happening. Yeah, I, look, I, and and whether this is an excuse or not, like I said, I wish I'd have played it first. That's just the way I felt about it. I hurt my back on the first day playing the Dunes course, so I was only doing half swings playing the farm. Um, and I only got to play it once because we were playing the dunes the next day. 
Um, but I just, I, like I said, I had this, I agree with you. Is it more of a resorty style feel for a Lynx landscape? Possibly so. Um, did that detract anything from your experience? I don't think it did at all. No. It's 20 holes for those that don't know, done by Corin Crenshaw. Um, it's got some dramatic ground. It's got some fantastic and adventurous golf holes. I think it was, uh, let me see, like you, mate, I've, numbers escaped me a little bit, but I think it was the fifth, the par four that goes along that cut, that, that water body that we talked about that divides the holes. You play a dog legs around a giant dune yeah. on the right-hand side, yeah. and there's this enormous green up the top. Yeah. And a great hole that once you get down, it looks like you've only got about a fairway that's you know sort of 10 yards wide to land it in. But when you get there, you've got a runway when you get up around that dune to see where you can play to. And I never got to go back. Um, but there's some sensational holes. And, and I, I like, I love a golf course property where you have different experiences on your 18. So yes, there's two golf courses. It didn't feel like they were the same though, no, which de- I liked. No, definitely. Two different experiences. Vastly, um, vastly different. You know, it wasn't, they weren't cloned by any, any stretch. And, you know, I've no. not, not had enough experience on playing, you know, Core and Crenshaw courses to sort of compare and contrast to other work that they've done. You know, you can certainly see a bit of Tom Doak influence and in some of the courses that I've seen of his around. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it. I, I'm interested to go when I go to Scotland next and play the new course over there called Dumbar- Dumbarney. And it's a new, okay. it's a new links. And, you know, it's very much been highlighted as the, you know, one of the new draw cards for you know, international golf tourism when it reopens over there as a new links. It's a bit different. You know, it's links as in, um, you know, not all of the holes go the same direction. So they've really sort yeah, of right. la- laid it out that way, not that true out and back. And so yeah. designed yeah. it designed it to let, let the wind play its effect on okay. every different hole and you can sort of go away and from the, the water. And I reckon by what I can see, that I might refer to, I don't know, I could be wrong, that might be a resort-type links-type feel as well where it's a little bit more open but still get that real links feel. Kings Barnes I haven't, yeah. haven't played. Um, I don't know if that's a resort links-type thing. People can tell me, tell us what they think. But uh, it, it was just, it was very, 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 very pleasant to play. It was very enjoyable, not pleasant under underselling it. It was very enjoyable and it was just, it was different. So you go down there and play two courses and you got two wildly different experiences. And and they are and and we we talk about that the Lost Farm has twenty holes. It's got two spare holes, thirteen B and eighteen B or yep. whatever twenty whatever. Um, good little par threes in themselves. The the last hole, the twentieth hole, was just it's just uh, that's the fun. I was like the stadium hole of Mount <laughs> Bugle, if you like. We were standing around watching other teams behind us, other groups, people we didn't know. Uh, some of our guys were. Yeah, having we were having a few side bets as we went around as as you do, you know, five here, you know, I'll beat you on this hole, you're gonna get a bogey or whatever. We had a couple of guys in ours that were betting on people we didn't know watching them play the hole and they're like a fiver on whether old mate in the blue hat's gonna hit the green. I'll I'll double it, he's gonna three putt, you know. <laughs> you could you were having fun not only playing it and having fun with each other, but you got that sports bar behind you when you finish, you grab a couple of drinks. You're standing outside and you're watching all these groups come in and everyone was there for a golf trip and they're all having a whale of a time playing the 20th hole. I think 
these little quirks that are into the lost farm, which again is like you said, is quite different to the June. And uh, I will say one thing. Yeah. And and this might. I don't. I don't even know why. I, I think the only reason I have a critique, which I don't like to do, of somewhere so good, is because it is that good. And that is when you get out to the eleventh tee. It's down to the tenth green. You can see the road out the back there, and you can see. Um, I think there's some planes and a little airstrip out the back. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we were not at Barn Bugle for me. We were back out to, it's like we we're back to civilization. And, I, and that sounds terrible, but it was just like there were no dunes in that area to block that stuff. It was just open. And it was the only part of the golf courses where I felt that happen. And it, I don't know why it bothered me, but it still does. And I, I feel disappointed in saying it as well, but you've got 11 that goes south, I think, and then 12 comes back before you cross the road, which is an internal road. Yep. You cross the road to go to the 13th tee, and then you're back into the dune. Yep. But for those two holes, 11 and 12, I just felt were removed because you could see other parts of the area you were at. Like you stand out on the fourth green 15, you can see Bridport off in the distance. But at no point did it feel like we were away from the dunescape. When we got to 11 and 12, for whatever reason, I just felt we weren't attached. Mm. It's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can see why you'd say that, obviously, because, you know, that you're correct in what you say, that it is a different look. Uh, I I actually didn't mind, I don't mind that, uh, that, you know, you, you get away from a, a predominant feature of a course, and you have a couple of holes that are a little, a little gentle. Uh, gentle is not. Well, the they're word, not gentle. They're not they gentle holes. No, the, off, they? Uh, the par four there is. What's the one over the hill that goes down to the south? 11. That's eleven. I, I, and that's got the biggest green I can think of. Yeah, so for, for me, I, lo- I love that hole because it just set up for my eye off the tee, um, just a little sort of left to right sort of fade, smash driver both both times I played it. Wedge, wedge on sort of thing, might have three nice. putted, might have three putted at once. The par five next one, the, that sort of flattish one, I, yeah, it, it sort of got me a little bit. But uh, no, it, I didn't. I don't mind that. And once again, if you go back to some links courses that you you know might see over the way, not too dissimilar. You know, um, no one in Port New remind. I don't remember exactly the holes, but you know there are a couple of flat holes as they take you into this massive, massive dunescape that just run a bit long alongside a farm. You know, you've yeah, got right. you've got a little bit of not marin grass. I don't have marin grass there, but you've got fairway, tall grass, and cows. Yes. It's, it's fairly flat, and it, and then all of a sudden the green just goes down to the water, and you know you come from farmland down to the water, and then you're up this big hill, and you're back into the dunes, and it reminded me like that. So it was just different, and I I don't find it. Out of, I, I don't feel like I was cheated out of value of the dunes yeah. the dunes experience. By doing, no, by I, do- I think it was probably because I was so immersed. In, and you do get a little bit of that. I shouldn't say you don't get it anywhere else. On the second hole um, of the dunes course, we're at the left side. Is, yep. It goes into that sort yep. of low land, which goes off to the right, and you can see straight through. Um, I think the old, run, I, the old runway used to be down there, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, it wrong. is. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, down by the fourth. 
which ultimately you come to. But I, I, I look, like I said, I have no idea why. And I remember making comments to my playing partners. There. I was like, what just happened? We're just, we're just, we're in Mordor of Lord of the Rings coming off a 10th tee. And then, and then we come down the back and there's old mate, the courier truck driving down the side of the golf course. And that's probably what it was. Yeah. You know, is that it was a Pantex truck driving down and I'm like, ah, oh, I just, I lost it. And you get down the 11th green and there was a stand of poplars that was remaining from the property, obviously mm. back when that area was a bit of farm down that low end. Um, and that's the road yeah. that you come into uh, when you get into the resort. Now I, that's when I put two and two together. So like I said, I feel disappointed that I felt like that because everything else was such an experience, but there's nothing wrong with it. That was just the way it stood out in my mind as we got to the 11th, 10th green, 11th tee, And I was like, ah, there's a truck. And I wasn't expecting to see a truck. (laughs) And that's probably all it was to be fair. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's, that's down that end. But then you get to 13, and that's a great golf hole too. And you come back, that's where you're coming back, and then the resort's up on high on your left. Yep. As you go 13, 13B, down to 14, the par three, um, to 15, uh, 15 as well, I think it is. What's um, the, and the, the, path for, the par three that's below the, below the resort? What's that one? 15, right. because 16 is you go past the, the, 18th green and then par three and then you go out again past, back in front of the clubhouse and then you've got the long par three up and then the 18th comes back. So it must be 15, the downhill par three from the, from the sand edge. Same thing there, the, uh, you know, the low marker, big shot maker, you know, just trying to do whatever he could to uh, get the ball near there, played it totally the wrong way, play it way left, let the ball feed down because um, – uh, cheese, as we refer to him, uh, he nearly had a hole in one there just by playing it way to the left, letting it feed back down, and was like literally that far from the hole. Oh, 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 never, oh, wow. never, never been to Barnburgle, never played much much golf. The, the newest golfer of the group, and you know the shot makers are all trying to go, oh, just do that, dude, play that, there, play there, play there, and he just cuts one in and around, loops it down, the, slings it down the, the chute there, and ends up on the top plateau because the green was in tucked behind that little uh, bunker in June there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, you know, take nothing away from the lost farm. Uh, and I suppose you're going to compare because it's the same property, but they're not, they are two different experiences. And I, I reckon, and I'm just going to throw it out there, I reckon that um, people might find the lost farm more receptive. Uh, okay, maybe rephrase that. The lost farm might be more receptive to more types of golfers uh, than the dunes. I think I could be wrong, but I think that's, that's, that's how it would fit for more golfers. Um, But yeah. Well, let's, let's have a look here. So um, I've got, I've got last year's golf Australia magazine top 100 listing here where both courses feature very highly. Uh, Barnbugle dunes in golf Australia magazine's latest top 100. So that's the 2020 top 100 is number three, and, and Barnboogle um, Lost Farm is number four. So they're right next to each other. Bill Core, average points, 97, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, is this where we should make mention that you're a panelist for the top 100 of Golf Australia magazine? I did secrete myself onto that panel a couple of years ago, and 
you know, for no other reason, just to um, you know, trying to try and get some more golf experience and you know, keep uh, keep contributing. Um, Very good. Barnboogle Lost Farm. What does Matt Mike have to say? Lost Farm is a course equal in quality to its older sibling next door, expertly rooted by Bill Court. The course is wide and manageable in any wind. It presents dramatic tee shots and asks for thoughtful golf and many thrilling approaches. The variety and quality of the par four holes is really something. That was Matt Micah, who I know very well and uh, is a great, astute um, scholar of golf architecture, hickory golf, um, uh, from, yeah, right. from of note. So, uh, you know, anything that Matt Micah says, you know, you, you would trust. You know, every time I play, so Scott Warren, another guy on the panel, every time I play Bill Corr's masterpiece on Bass Strait, I find some ground feature or pin position I'd never previously noticed. It's a close-run thing for the title of best course at Bridport. But for the fine details of Lost Farm, raise it slightly above its rugged, dramatic sister next door. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Uh, Look at. I think both of those summations of the the course at the Lost Farm. I mean, it's the only core Crenshaw course in Australia. Their first crack at it. No, no better place to, to have a go. Um, I think that they're fair. They're fair comments and, and well rounded in in what their thoughts are, and I think that's about right too. Matt Mike, only Matt, Matt, Micah, <laughs> Matt Micah about Barnboogle Dunes, just to flip back to there, says, in my opinion, Barnboogle Dunes is the nearest challenger to Royal Melbourne's West Crown. The course features so many fun shots and so many all-world holes. Amazingly natural green complexes and great strategic quality are the course's hallmarks. A tremendous setting for golf, constantly skirting and traversing the dunes. The fescue surfaces are the southern hemisphere's nearest thing to Scotland's finest ancient fairways. There you go. There you go. Yep. That's uh, that's pretty good to see where they sit on last year's list, and um, yeah, and both so close, and I think rightly rightly so, both close to each other and close to the top. Um, and I haven't played raw, but there you go. The thing for me is, it's it's sensational that they're so close to the top because they're public access. It's sensational yeah. that they are such good value. I think if you look at these top one hundred lists from all around the world and look at some of the upper echelon you don't get value like you get at Palm Google dunes well let's 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 talk about it like you said it, public access anyone anyone can go there and play golf which mm-hmm. i love and when you pay to play there as you know like it's you're playing for the day you're paying to play for the day so you can play if you can fit 72 holes into one day then go for broke and that's why we did it late afternoons um at like four or five o'clock we went out and just started playing until dark even into the dark, into the night, we're playing golf because it's it's a golf experience. You're there to take it all in. I was just walking the golf course. I think it's 130 bucks or something for the day's golf, or 150 bucks for the day's golf. I can tell you from one of my experiences, you go to Hamilton Island, which I do love, and it's a hell of a test of golf as well. It's a very difficult golf course in my opinion. It's an experience like no other as well. It's 150 bucks. And you pay $150 to lose the best part of 10 so golf balls, <laughs> um, which I can do quite easily at Hamo. Um, so it's value for money. I'm not comparing it to the rest of the world or other parts of the world, which I know that you can, but you've got all day golf. I can only play 18 holes at, at Hamo. You get a boat across on a time, you play golf, you stay there, you eat, you drink, and then you've got a boat to come back. I can't stay there all day and into the night. Mm. Whereas, Barn Bugle is all that. And, you know, like you said, what are, what are some of the other places that you know of, mate, where value for money? What's it like in the British Isles? 
Yeah, well, it's been a couple of couple of years since I've been to Ireland, but you know, I remember bypassing Bally Bunyan when I was choosing. Uh, I was staying at La Hinch. Fortunately, back in that time, we had reciprocal rights. So with La Hinch, I was you know playing as a reciprocal member for free, which was unbelievable. Um, wow! But I think it was like two hundred euros. I could be wrong. Uh, bypassed Bally Bunyan because it was two fifty euros, and I just thought, ah, oh, I'm probably not going to spend that amount of money. For video's sake, anyone watching, I'm right into the camera. Did you say 250 euros? I think it was, yeah, I, I, I might want to just, we might want to just double check that, but I'm pretty sure it was okay, a couple of hundred let's euros. let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was 200. Let's go further and say it was 150 euros. What's that equate to? It's about 250 bucks? Yeah, just sort of 300 sort of thing. <laughs> and I'm sure it's only for one round, not all day, as many holes as you can play. Um, so I remember, I remember going to Tralee, which was, you know, in the, in it was maybe like a hundred euros, uh, Muirfield, you know, is one course that my family as a gift wanted to book me on to playing Muirfield, which you can play and play. They have two days a week, I think. And, and certain times that you can jump onto the Muirfield website. Very, 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 very private golf course. One of the key differences of, of golf in, in that part of the world that, you know, even the private courses mostly in the main let people play. Um, yeah. But it was like 275 pounds. So it was like back in, back in the day, it was like 500 bucks. And I wouldn't let them. Wow. I, I said, do not book me and pay that amount of money for me to go and play golf. I don't need to play that course that that much. Fortunately, you know, like, in global golf now, you get to meet a few people, and I've I've played mm. there as a guest of a member, and wow. he wouldn't let me pay anything. But I think what they do with their members' guests is like it's only like minimal charge. I don't know. Like at North Berwick, a member guest rate is ten quid, ten yeah. ten pounds for a member to take their mate. It's ten pounds yeah. to go and play as an international tourist. It's one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy, sort of thing. Yeah, right. And and we, let's, I suppose, apples and apples. We're talking some of those courses you mentioned, like Muirfield, and they're private golf courses. That's like a Royal Melbourne. You know, it's not a public access golf course. Whereas that's the beauty of Barn Bugle, isn't it? Yeah, well, anyone can go and play and they and they pay the money. Absolutely. Yep. And, and I love, and I go back to, I love that you can experience it however you choose. So there's the teeing areas, they give you a bit of guidance in the pro shop and say, what do you want to do? How good are you? How not good are you? Um, if you want to experience it, and this is where we, you know, this is a suggest to go out there and go for broke. And if you want to go for the blacks, which we didn't do, and that would have been brutal in a four club win, I might say, um, you could go out there and, and try and beat Mother Nature's finest. Um, just going back to the, I'm just trying to see if I can find out what, uh, uh, how much it does cost at the moment to play, which we can find out. But there, the beauty about golf in both those parts of the world, there is plenty of awesome awesome links golf that you can play very affordably like if you if yeah. you if you want to you know go and shoot the holy grail open rotor courses you have to be expecting to pay because um, of course Amer- let's see what happens after post covid and when travel opens back up but the american tourist dollar has just jacked up the prices of a yeah, lot of those sure. top courses but if you want to if you want to go to like a in scotland like a, a panmuir or a monofeith or um you know, you want to go to Merkel Links as opposed to Royal Aberdeen, which is next door on the same stretch of land. You, you know, you're getting, you're playing the best Links golf that you'll ever experience, but you're just not getting to tick the bucket list courses off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that, that that's that's a fair comment too. And you know, I mean, um, I, I just, I, I think it's important 
as well that Australian golf has a place at the level of Barn Bugle that sits with two courses in the top five that's public access. I think people, so people can experience it. And, you know, we've got the King Island courses as well, which you can experience. There's a means to get there. Don't get me wrong. I had to fly from Sydney, had to fly from Melbourne. It's not next to the airport. There's a trip to the get to get to the courses and then you, usually you want to stay there. There's a lot more to it than just a, a trip to go and play golf in a day. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's an important component. And it get, gets to the model that Barn Bugle is. Okay, so um, so I just, uh, I just uh, confirmed there. Bally Bunyan at the moment is 250 euros. Wow. So what's that roughly? Is that about 500 bucks? Just short. It'd be 400 and something. I have a a bit of a chuckle and a right smile. That's that's astonishing for a golf experience. Um, But people pay it, and you know, like it's Bally Bunyan, and they're happy too. Bally Bunyan Old Course, you know, like I I I drove past it, um, didn't stop in there. I had to get back, but uh, anyway, um, there's a fair bit happening in Tasmania with golf, and I'm sure that you've dedicated a fair bit of. I'm not sure how this will come out. There's, you you know, if there's one, two, or three podcasts in this, Stevie, I don't know, but um, there's a. I was just going to say, there's, there's a fair bit happening down there. I bumped into Mike Clayton on Sunday at uh, Peninsula Kingswood for the pennant thing, and, and he and Lucas right. and a couple others were going down to um, Seven Mile Beach and doing a, a site recce during the week. And They started tree clearing. Yeah, so that's uh, going to look sensational. Be, well, you know, we, we get back to the, the people behind some of these courses, and Clayton's been involved with, you know, that, those sorts of places that we know, like the dunes and... Um, I've had a complete memory blank, blank about some of the others in Victoria that, that Mike's attached to. He did um, with Tom Doak, did St. Andrews Beach, which is another one of my favourites. Um, and now he's involved with, uh, under Clayton DeVries Pont with um, Seven Mile. And Matt Goggin is the man behind that project, an Australian touring golf professional, which people might know. And you've got Clayton DeVries Pont involved, and Clayton's from. Like I said, Barn Bugle Tunes at St Andrews Beach and Mike DeVries is from Cape Wickham. Um, put those two names together on a sandy site at Hobart in Tasmania again, I can only but speculate what we're going to get out of it. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's going to be another exceptional experience. And what's the other uh, course down there, North Arm or Arm End? Is it the Craft of Mogford? Arm End, is that- which is a Craft of Mogford design project, um, which is... It's on the other side of Hobart, I believe, near the Derwent. Um, that's another experience that's going to be uh, brought about once that gets up and, and done as well. And I'm not sure whether that project has, has actually started construction just yet, but uh, all eyes at the moment are on Seven Mile. So um, with the, the starting with the clearing of the, the trees and some of the weeds and so on in that property. So Matt Goggin's um, moving forward at a great rate of knots now that he's allowed to kick off and all the red tape side of things has been done and looking forward to seeing how that's going to evolve. Um, yeah, exciting stuff. And, and I say Golf Destinations Australia and now it's, it's, it's Tasmania. It's really starting to, to produce something special. Yeah, I, I'll know that you'll be certainly looking forward to seeing that. So, but certainly so for me because, you know, probably my interest in this space wasn't as, um, I guess, developed as it was you know, when Barnboogle was being built and when Barnboogle Lost Farm was being built, I was probably not even playing golf back then uh, in a in my current sort of level of golf 
golfism. Um, so I'm really interested in, in knowing Mike. I don't know Mike, but I've met Mike and, you know, g'day Mike, g'day Ross, how are you going? Luke is the same. Um, yep. I'm sure you're looking forward to chatting to those guys when you can, if you can. Um, Absolutely. That's the goal with uh, with Matt. We've spoken briefly about it, so we want to be able to do that soon. So having that, I guess, a little bit more closeness, uh, it's really exciting to see, you know, be able to watch. Uh, I want to get on a bobcat and go down there and dig some holes, mate. That's um, that's. Oh, uh, mate, let me tell you, having a bobcat uh, on a golf course is a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've been fortunate to do it, building uh, my part of the golf course at Katoomba when we were doing the work there. And whether you get on a three-ton excavator or a bobcat or whatever and you're moving stuff around and making shapes, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I've, I've had the, the joy of being able to do that at Katoomba, yeah. uh, sadly, before it closed. Um, all sorts of stuff like that. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I actually, um, I want to try and get down to seven mile during that, that build phase and, and who knows uh, whether we can make that work. Um, I'd love to be able to do that and, and show uh, a few people just what's going on with there. So look, exciting stuff is happening in golf in Australia and post COVID, you know, I think, I think people are gearing up. We're going to get a lot of golf travelers come back here. I think international people are really going to want to come down here and uh, experience what we've got again uh, now that they've been locked away. And I know a few of my followers been on Instagram and the podcast that are international people and, um, you know, they're champing at the bit to get back here to see family and loved ones and also play some golf while they're doing it. Mate, I think they'll be fighting, fighting the Aussies <laughs> off because, you know, I think uh has just been overrun with the amount, uh, of, amount of local people that have been jumping on planes and getting down there. Kate Wickham, the same sort of thing. I know the, absolutely. Young, I know the young bloke who's the pro down there, young English fellow that did some work for me for a little bit. He's taken on the role as the pro at Kate Wickham. said they've never been busier. And uh, it's um, just, just all the Aussies traveling. It's great. I think yeah, I, I think in a, in a roundabout way, and we talk about the boom golfs had because of COVID, and it's one of the few things you could do during lockdown in a lot of states, not in all. Um, I think it's opened up our Australian eyes to what we have. I think there's a lot of Aussies and I'm not one that's traveled the world to play golf and plenty that travel the world to play golf regularly. I think they're starting to go, you know what? We've got some really good courses here. We don't need to travel to play. Mm. We can go and experience, you know, British style, British Isle golf in Tasmania. We can experience some desert style golf or, um, uh, dry landscape golf at, at Royal Adelaide and some of the Adelaide courses or some of the WA courses. We don't need to. We've got resort courses in Queensland and and uh, Victoria and New South Wales. We don't need to go. And there's some high quality stuff. We're not talking about places that are just cut, you know, just scraping in. These things are well and truly cut in the mustard, which I know about because I'm not an international traveller. But some of our internationals are going, well, to get my fix, I have to stay here. And they're starting to really, like you said, overrun some of these places. I spoke to a local businessman from uh, Port Ferry and golfer from Port Ferry the other day, and you know he was just articulating what was happening in the town of Port Fer- Ferry, not just in a golfing sense, but yeah, certainly right. golfing, but the whole town is just awash with people that are traveling down there, a lot of them being golfers. And, yep. uh, you know, the economy is great in the town. You know, people are happy. And the golf course has never been in a in a better shape, you know. Like it's uh, and people are loving playing that version of Lynx golf down there. Uh, once again, any any time you got a golf course and there's and you can see water on one side uh, and waves crashing and wind blowing, yeah, you know, I'm there. I'm there. Sure, absolutely. And and again, it's access, right? I mean, you can't just go and walk on to New South Wales here in Sydney, um, but you can just go and walk on or book and walk on to Barmbugle or book and walk on to Port Ferry. Yeah. Um, 
and that's a great experience. Mate, let's look, we've, we've talked at length about what our experiences are and our thoughts on Barn Bugle and after our first time trip there. I want to finish up by saying to you in one word, and I haven't even thought about this, but I'm going to do it. In one word, as difficult as this could be, one single word, not a phrase, what would you use to describe your experience at Barn Bugle? Authentic. Oh, I like it. I like it. Authentic. Wow. That's, that's good. Very well done. I'm going to say enlightening. Okay. Deep. Um, yeah. And, and it was, I, I got emotional. This is going to sound weird. Uh, it's different to you. Um, it wasn't, it's not quite a high. It's not like walking on the St. Andrews, but I, I probably never actually thought I'd make it to Barbuga. I never really had, um, I think a, a way of making it work in life and you're just not sure whether you can travel that far and, and make an experience like that come together. That was a moment where I was out on my own, just walking the front nine and exploring and experiencing the landscape and, and everything that they created there. And I did for a moment. I was up, I think it was up on that towering dune by the eighth grain and I just stood there and I did a 360 turn and took all in what was, what had been created and where we were and what the, the environmental experience was like and all that and thinking, did I ever in life think I'd get to this point to experience? And it's just a golf experience, right? But for whatever reason, because I've grown up at golf since I was the age of nine and immersed in it from there on, um, I just stood there and there were no sounds. There was nothing. There wasn't even any golfers out there that time. And I was just like, this is quite remarkable. And that's why I say enlightening because there was a lot to learn from my side of things as well, from the professional agronomy side, as much as the golf side and the architectural side and all that sort of stuff. I just, yeah, yeah, it's deep. One word, that was it. And I think, yeah. Um, we haven't, um, I'm going to assume that you've, yeah, well, sorry, let's rewind that part. That was great uh, because, you know, any time that you can go and sit and absorb a golf course, and I've only done it a handful of times, not a, not even maybe a couple of times, once at Lahinch, definitely the day before I played, I remember walking out there and having a look and finding a, a spare green. Next thing I was sitting next to uh, the goats eating, the goats of Lahinch, the famous goats of Lahinch, you know, peeped over the head, who's this over here on our spare green? Um, and I'm sharing, um, there was no one playing the golf course because uh, the South of Ireland uh, stroke uh, match play championships were being run the final, so there was only two boys out there playing and, and I sort of took off back to the clubhouse and there was no one there sitting up overlooking the beach and the goats popped their head up and I, just, <laughs> I was by myself. You know, I was start traveling by myself. Like, okay, just leave me here. This is good. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fine. And, uh, but um, so I, was, uh, I get why you said enlightening and I can see after, you know, while mine might be authentic and yours is enlightening. We didn't, we didn't talk about what I was going to say. We didn't talk about the uh, Bamboogle run. Well we, well, we didn't. No, you're right. Because I didn't, I didn't um, see that. We flew a drone. We flew, we flew a little drone from the uh, balcony of uh, the room across there and tried to get a. All right. We were, we were that. Um, they said they could go and have a walk up there and have a look, but after 40, yeah. 40 holes on the second day and then eighteen the first day, and we had thirty six the next day, so ninety four holes in two I, and a half days. I well, hadn't done as much walking as you, um, and I was knackered after our four days there or three and a half days there. I was very fortunate to get a tour with Superintendent Phil Hill on uh, the last morning before we caught the, the bus out to get to the airport. 
And I got a tour from the inside um, of the, the property, as it were, looking at being driven around, not walking. <laughs> and, um, mate, look, I was, I was bummed that it wasn't open quite yet. Um, they were just trying to make sure they could get it to where they wanted to before they opened it. Um, so that's why it was a little bit later than they'd had originally planned. Um, it's just, I've since seen people have played it and talked about it and that sort of thing. So to give anyone an idea of what it's like, it's, it's, it, it, it's a unique concept, I think for us in Australia in that it's this 14 hole short course and some people throw around a bandy around a pass through course and this as gimmicks. This is a real version. It's not a gimmicky version. It's not squeezed in amongst some houses somewhere in the you know, suburbs of the city. Um, it's got all the similar design elements that you could experience and find on golf courses uh, rolled into a short course. And there's two short par fours there that they make that are drivable, um, 260 meters, 270 meters. So for some people, it's not even a driver. The views across the property across the lost farm, over to the dunes, over to the ocean. They're all there, um, but it's really fun. You know, I'm looking at these holes and the way the greens are shaped and there's punch balls. There's one, there's a tent that, that springs to mind. I'm sure it's as, it's as far down to the green in terms of elevation as it is long. <laughs> and you could probably putt. And that was one of the things Phil and I were talking about is who's going to putt it to the green? down this 170 odd meter par three yeah. um, because it literally fescue down a steep hill all the way to the green. Um, I, I, I love, I'd love to hear more about those that are going to see it. I know a couple of people I've spoken to on Instagram that are going to travel down there, I think next month and they'll experience it. Um, I know people that are, that are keen as, so uh, it looks really, really cool. Um, the same guys that, that, constructed the lost farm or John Hawker, I think it is on the machinery did it uh, during COVID times. Um, there's a, there's a lot of backstory to it as well. I think it's just one of those other, it's, it's almost a intrinsically barn bugle before you, it's even open for play. Mm. <laughs> just, a, it's like a long version of the 20th hole of the lost farm. It's just all cool fun. So where is it sited? Is it on that big rope around the top of the dune that, sort of circumferences a lot of lost farm yeah well no no it's, it's sort of more in inish in the middle of the lost farm as it were there's uh there's a there, like you're right it's a big dunescape and it's sort of just to the side of i think the eight and yeah. behind the ninth yeah um behind the ninth tee to the side of the eight you can see one of the greens up as you play the eighth hole um and it was discovered the story um was discovered the land was discovered, sorry, as the story goes by, uh, they were doing a, an environmental burn of some of the, the vegetation on the property, um, cooked for my way of saying cooked a little bit longer than it was planned. Uh, <laughs> and it subsequently opened up more visibility of the actual, what was beneath that vegetation. And it, um, uh, the story goes, I think Richard got on the horn to, um, Bill Core and said, listen, uh, you might need to have a little bit of a look, see at this, this piece of ground that's just been opened up and uh, see what you think, if there's anything we can do with it. And they come up with this idea of a 14 hole short course. So you play a couple, I think down low, one or two down low along to get there. Um, and then you climb up the dune 
and literally it, you run a, a ridge loop around the top of the dune so you can see over everything. The view from the top is incredible. And trust me, if you thought the wind was a problem on a windy day down at sea level, wait till you play these holes up at the top, I tell you. The, amaz- the amazing thing which intrigues me is that you can't, other than that little green that you can see maybe at the 8th as you described, you, you wouldn't know. You can't see you can't it from see when you it. play it. And, and like, there's Honestly, a- you don't. And it's, when, uh, yeah. When we flew the drone over, like I was trying to get my bearings, like, and the guys that had been there before knew exactly where it was, and like we were flying, and I said, "That's not. It's over there." And we couldn't. I just was flummoxed by the fact that you couldn't see any hint of it from what we had just played. Yep, yep, hundred percent agree. I, I was I was looking for it because I kind of knew where it was when I played the Lost Farm, and apart from the one green, um, I, I was like, "Oh, is that?" the back of the lost farm or is that part of the new bugle run course? And I wasn't sure cause I hadn't played out the back yet. And, uh, that's it. Only that one spot apart from that, it's high enough. And the way that some of the vegetation sits around the sides, uh, you can't see it. And it's one of those beautiful revealing elements or that doesn't reveal itself until you're up there that you just go, Holy shit. Is this actually here? <laughs> and there's some great carries and some great views and, and um, really, like I said, some of the design elements is nice punch bowl. The one off ten, you just go, you just free fall off the edge. Um, and the two short par four, it, it, look, everything about it is fun. And the idea is, from talking to Phil, is that it's it's meant to be more about fun than serious. I mean, you can go to to the Barn Bugle and play the farm in the dunes and keep score and compete with other guys. Our guys did. We competed against each other. Um, not that I played very well, but that was the idea was to have a little bit of competition within the groups, but the dunes, uh, sorry, the bugle run is more about you know, probably throwing a couple of side bets and having fibers here and there, you know, I bet you're five, you can't hit the green on this 270 meter par four yeah. or, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's that half around. I don't know if you experienced it when you're playing the morning or maybe it's cause we're unfit. And we weren't prepared to walk another 18. <laughs> if you play in the morning, you can go and have lunch, casually have a couple of beers and then go, instead of playing the front nine, let's go and play that one. So we can just play that 14 holes and zip around. And then, you know, that's the idea, I think, behind a lot of it. So uh, didn't quite get to experience it because it wasn't open. It was, I think it was only open a week later or two. We, what yeah, did we, we miss it by? A week or two? Yeah, a week and a half or something like that, yeah. Yeah, bugger all. So, um, but another, just another reason to get to Barn Bugle. Well, mate, well, hopefully, hopefully the realisation that golf travel for you is something that you can uh, can do a bit more and I'm sure that uh, with the support of those uh, loved ones around you that they see how much you enjoy it, how passionate you are about it and what you are actually offering people uh, that, that listen to you know, your information um, and you might get the chance to do it a little bit more because it's certainly gives you so many new aspects and, and ways to appreciate what uh, what is out there and um, yeah so hopefully you get to do it again down there if you ever get, if you ever have a spot in a group down there uh, don't ever be afraid of ringing me and saying there's a spot because uh, it's highly likely that I'll, I will accept um, and, uh, and and likewise you know like I've got to get up to New South Wales and Sydney and play some of the golf around there for, uh, oh, mate, yeah and, and you know Exactly that. If you're up this way, mate, and you, you've got a spot and happily join you for a round somewhere, whether it be back in your, you know, your former hunting ground, be it the Hunter Valley and experience some of those courses again or 
anywhere that it might be. Um, but yeah, look, at yeah, you know, I happily give you a yell and, and I love traveling around and, and certainly I, like you said, at the moment, we can't travel anywhere. So hopefully if you get the chance to get around, you experience some more of Australia and things that you might not have experienced before. So it's a, it's a lovely thing to be able to do. Um, one, one parting point that I will say, mate, I've loved the chat. Um, one parting thought about Barn Bugle is I wonder if it'll stay at two and a half golf courses. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Do you reckon that there'll ever be another one? What I, what I know, what I've gleaned is that Richard owns so much land down there. I don't know exactly how far I'm it's, back. but It's a lot. I can yeah. tell you now, it's nearly as far as you can see. So, because uh, I think I joked about, you know, we were talking about the accommodation and I said, oh, well, why wouldn't, you know, maybe Richard develop some accommodation in Bridport and just have another off, offer there? And someone said, mate, if he's, if he, I'd imagine if he did, did anything, he'd do it on the property because there's so much land down there. So I reckon, <laughs> I, you could only think that his appetite for building quality golf courses isn't going to go away. He doesn't, I don't know him. I saw him there two times, you know, like, like you, I never met, yep. never met Richard. Um, he's a, he's, he's a bloody gem to the golf industry as far as I'm concerned for building those places. I think like anything, once you get the appetite for something, you want to do it again, don't you? And, and it works. It's not like it's not working, yeah. you know? So I think the model's there. Could it be our Bandon? Could it be Australia's version of Bandon? Sort of, Who knows? Sort of already is in some respects, but um, but why not? You know, why why not? I'd love to see it. I don't know. Like you said, I, I you know, not knowing anything about that side of things, I, I just can only think of ideas and what ideas must be running through a guy like Richard's head to get this far. How much more? Any, how much more has he got in him? Do you think? I reckon that probably the you know the, one of the biggest decisions is you know where do I where do I build the next runway? How much bigger? How much wider? How much longer? Uh, I'm going to have to build an airport. You know, that, that'd be the big thing, I reckon, um, because there's three or four planes coming in there every day. Uh, the port, yeah. And I've got to say, uh, friends at Air Adventure, the Pilatus PC-12 um, corporate jet looks fantastic. The new the new jet that you fly on when you jump on it at Essendon Airport and fly down there, it just... Do you know, oh, I don't know if you noticed that one, the pointy nose, the prop on the front, the Pilatus. Um, you see all the rich people in America flying around in them. It's, yeah, not, right. a, it's not a turbo. It's not a, a jet oh, jet. okay. But uh, oh, what a beautiful jet that is. I just I remember saying to Mike, that's the Pilatus PC-12 from Air Adventure. And he goes, oh, whatever, mate. Whatever plane spotter. Maybe that's what we need to be on next time, mate. <laughs> well, you, you fly straight You fly straight there. You, but uh, anyway, whatever way you get there, um, just get there. No, that's it. But look, you know, thanks for the chat, Roscoe. And to anyone out there listening, I hope you've enjoyed our listening to our first-time experience at Barn Bugle. Um, you need to go there. To anyone listening, you just need to make it happen. And if you've been there before, you know exactly what we're talking about. But Roscoe, thank you very much, mate. Appreciate your time. As yeah. always, and thoroughly enjoyable. If you can't get there, this by the time you listen to this, you've played the equivalent of a round of golf there. So we've sort of delivered a round of golf to you in, in listening terms and length uh, because this is uh, one of the longest uh, chats that we've ever had. And uh, It is. Very, very pleasurable as always, Steve, and I appreciate uh, all your consideration to me and and your um, kind words. Thank you. Unbelievable. Thanks, Roscoe. All right, mate. Cheers, mate. And there you have it, folks. What an epic conversation 
with Roscoe. Absolutely loved reliving the trip that we had down to Barn Bugle. Two separate trips, but equally at the same time, so it was the same sort of kind of trip. So just in case you're wondering, that cut I kept mentioning with my discussions with Ross was the, it's called Adam's Cut, which was a diversion of Great Forester's River. And uh, it cuts through the property, the Barn Bugle property, and divides both the courses. So I couldn't think of it at the time, but there you go. That's a post-edit note. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. And if you've never been before, I can't strongly recommend enough on so many levels as I think you've probably now heard and got a sense from on how many different levels it's worth going to experience Barn Bugle, uh, both from myself and Roscoe, two different backgrounds in coming into playing at Barn Bugle and experiencing what it is down there. And that's, you know, you heard about our thoughts and what we took away from it. And uh, I certainly can't wait to go back and experience it again one day. And for those of you who have been there, uh, I'm curious to, to know whether you had similar thoughts, how different were your thoughts, what did you take away from your first time, what did you take away from your fifth time? Um, you know, was it as enjoyable and enlightening as I put it, the, the, the second time, the third time plus? And are there other places that you get that same sort of feeling from? So, look, I, like I said, once again, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Roscoe. Uh, and the My Love of Golf podcast where he's from and what he does. But I thank Roscoe for his time uh, and having a, a lengthy conversation that we did. And you can probably tell we have a great time talking about our trips and certainly um, any of the conversations that we have and the topics that we discuss, we have a great time doing it. So had fun doing this one just the same. I will say to you that if you haven't listened to Roscoe and the My Love Golf podcast before, do yourself a favor. Go over and find his his channel, as it were, and download or listen to or stream, however you do it, some of the uh, some of the fascinating interviews that he's done. He he hooks up with some great people and has great conversation with them and talks about what they enjoy in the game, what they get out of the game, and some of their experiences along the way. And it's I find it most entertaining. A lot of people do as well, and I'm sure you will too. So I will say to you. Go there and find uh, some of them and have a listen, and I'm sure you'll get a kick out of listening to them just the same as I do along the way. And that's really it, guys. I will make a little footnote there and apologize for the audio. Um, Still trying to work out when I do interviews how to get the best sound out of distance and over the internet and all that sort of stuff, guys. So bear with me as I find the right model and the right equipment to do it with, but... um, Hopefully that worked for you. So thank you again for listening. And please like, share, subscribe, pass on, email, post, message, whatever you need to do to get my podcast out there. If you do enjoy it, please pass it on to those who you think will as well. I appreciate you once again coming to listen to the Golf and Greenkeeper podcast. As always, you hit them clean and we'll keep them green.